Welcome to another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast with me, James Roberts, transformational coach, two-time Paralympian, and TEDx speaker. I have another awesome episode for you today, so let's get straight into it. And on today's show, I've got Gary Maitland. Gary is a professional skills coach with a rich experience in working with male and female professional athletes, national team players, NCAA student athletes, and younger basketball enthusiasts who aspire to compete at the highest level. Gary has worked with players who have had experience in the NBA, EuroLeague, ACB, and others various top leagues around the world. His comprehensive training programs are are individually tailored to meet the needs of each client. So welcome on to the show, Gary. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. So if we go obviously back to, to your days before coaching, obviously you've been uh, a basketball enthusiast and kind of a basketball buff because you, you, I've seen one of your social media. You've got a basketball, or at least half court in your back garden. Listen, I mean, you know, uh, absolutely privileged to, first of all, have the space in London anyway to even consider putting a hoop up. Um, and then, you know, fortunately, teaming up with Mega Slam Hoops means I've got a fantastic um, hoop in the back garden, which we can utilize. Um, I was going to say whenever we want, um, but the reality is, <laughs> man, like it, it's not true. We just don't have the climate for that. Um, having said that, though, like growing up, I mean, I remember playing in the rain, the snow. So it's just it's just a, a lazy excuse if we say we we can't go out in the rain, but you're right. So, um, yeah, been a basketball enthusiast ever since the age of 11 when I saw the uh, Barcelona Olympics. That was the the turning point for me when I guess I was really introduced to the game at a high level um, and then never looked back. Um, my parents, you know, put a hoop in against the back of their house um, and that's where it all began, breaking windows and uh, making up noise for the neighbours um, and the love just just grew and grew and grew and and yeah, yeah went from playing and then transitioning into becoming a coach and uh, I can see myself being heavily involved in the game literally for a lifetime. So what what was the buzz for you to to transcend from playing to towards coaching? Because obviously coaching isn't for everybody and obviously. <laughs> It, it, it is very difficult transition because some players don't want to be coaches. They they don't think they've got the skill sets to do it. What what was it particularly that you that gave you the itch to want to 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 trans transition over? So I think it's in my DNA, right to to meet a challenge head on and 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 really like jump two feet in with that you know and just go really really deep into the details of of whatever the challenge is now it just so happened that basketball really got my attention um but fundamentally you know in my dna i just love the idea of trying to master something you know and it was when i mean i, I left playing quite young um I mean, I'd left. I'd, I'd done like the junior circuit, and, and I played for the national team when I was young. And um, like most people in, in in the basketball world, we tend to look west to to go to the states to you know pursue dreams and play at a higher level. So that's exactly what I did. So as as a junior, I had a really 
pretty pretty strong career to be fair um but then when i got into the senior senior world of of, of sport um yeah I, I guess i exited quite early um but what i did see was i saw some coaching happening and i was like do you know what i i guess my ego was saying i can do better than that um that that would be an immature like thought pattern but the mature thought pattern was actually i've seen coaching to be done at a higher level than this so you know i had some fantastic coaches and i just wanted to share what i had learned throughout my years so i think that was it it was seeing the standards of coaching to be quite low um i knew that i had something to offer and there was the challenge the challenge was there's some players in front of me can i make them better and ultimately that's really what kind of um got the ball rolling you know pardon the pun and then um it just snowballed from there you know i just loved it loved it loved it and i guess basketball is the vehicle but for me it's about transforming lives without sounding too cliche i just love the idea of upskilling somebody um and allowing them to access something at a higher level which gives them opportunities later in life and you mentioned obviously transitioning over because of you you thought that the coaching was lacking what era are we talking about are we talking so I started coaching in the early noughties. So it would have been about 2002, 2003. Um, that's when I really kind of like blew the whistle, you know, and and got players to do stuff. So I'd say that, yeah, the early noughties. Do you, do you think, obviously, British basketball, and we're talking obviously, oh gosh, mid-90s, late-90s of playing in bigger arenas, Um and to, I use Manchester Giants because obviously I grew up uh, supporting them as a, as a youngster. Do you think that cash and, and uh, how would I describe it, uh, more American influence of obviously the MEN Arena back then was 9X Arena and it's very heavily funded by an American company. Do you think that had a little bit of a... Um, stagnation on 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 local talent and to a certain extent british players progressing because they were able to bring more imports than they do nowadays yeah somewhat i mean for sure um there's been a trend that our top talent um have gone overseas um so i think that was that that you know that's been a problem it's just trying to keep them here um our top talent just wouldn't want to play in a league that doesn't pay as well as other leagues um, or maybe the league just didn't offer opportunity to then play at higher levels because it didn't have that kind of recognition or reputation. So, yeah, I mean, that's a complicated question, but I think you've definitely got the fact that imports were, were, were allowed in, which meant that, yes, that meant less roster spots for, for British talent. Um, but then there was the whole financial situation too, um, which you know still is an issue to this day um, to an extent. Um, so when you're not seeing British talent, uh, you know, playing locally in a league that's an attractive league, you know, it's just um, which now we're getting into a whole like media marketing conversation. But I think when you don't have that complete package, it's very difficult to then um, inspire younger generations because then all they start to do is look overseas as well and think about how can I get out rather than how can I stay and that's very different to to other you know European countries that you know we could arguably or we should 
be arguably competing against. You know, I mean, take the French, take the Spanish, the Italians, um, and 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 many more countries in Europe. Um, you know, they've they've got such a, a strong infrastructure and almost like a conveyor belt of players who start young and play throughout. You know, the ages and then you know would love to play professionally. You know, at the senior level at home. So. You know, I, I think that's where we need to get to. How we do that, very, very complicated. But, but for sure, we need to have a lot more British players playing at home, um, where they don't have to worry about money, they don't have to worry about you know certain stresses, and then we can celebrate that talent, and then that will just inspire the next generation to want to play at home. Do you do you think obviously because you've obviously done uh, camps during the holidays and things like that? Do you do you believe that? Obviously, the the next uh, pool of talent, and and to to work with you and obviously coaches, alongside you, uh, and obviously you represent reputation supersedes that that you work with, obviously people players in the NBA, Euroleague, it's the uh, and obviously the Spanish league, is highly regarded. Do you think that obviously helps to to for for those players to see that oh British players have done this. Why? Why can't? Why can't I be the next one up? I think so. I think. I think the you know social media is a bit of a gift and a curse. But I think for the most part, you know, the gift allows us to see these players, you know, a bit more up close and personal. You know, we get to, you know, there's there's just a lot more attention that's possible. So for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, that the more we see these players, the more we see the work of you know coaches like myself and others who are all trying to educate players in the game or educate other coaches. Um, I think we've got the tools to do something really, really special. Um, but just because we have the tools doesn't mean we know how to use them. And I think that's kind of our next steps is making sure that we're, you know, we're self-educating, you know, whether we're being resourceful, that we are being very proactive in enhancing our delivery, whatever that may be, whether it be a coach, a player, referee, um, you know, a, a content creator, you name it. It's just about leveling up. And I think if we collectively do that, we will see a much better product here in the UK. Do you think you're quite resourceful as a coach? Because I've seen you go into local facilities and, and by the aesthetics of it, it's like, well, that's not uh, the most ideal um, environment to be training. Do you think because of uh, your probably know how that obviously alleviates some of that i think so um i mean put it this way it was quite humbling to see um well to give you a bit of a backstory um pre-covid i would go out to um, la and california and support drew hanlon with his nba workouts during the off season and um it was quite humbling to see that that these nba players like literally on the hour every hour every day, you know, seven days a week from the months of, well, pretty much once the season ended in, in June, right the way through to, you know, kind of mid-August, late August, that these NBA players were walking into a local high school gym to get this, you know, working. And, okay, your average high school facility in the US is definitely, you know, more advanced than your average, you know, secondary school facility in the UK. Um Nevertheless, you know, it's, it's still relative, right? Like the NBA players, the, some of the best players in the world were just going to a local high school gym to, to advance their skills. 
So for me, it was like, yeah, do you know what? I don't need the glitz and the glamour. I don't need to have the arena floor. I don't need to, you know, have the big lights or, you know, state of the art facilities around me. Um, you know, we can, we can, we can grind and we can get to work in, in whatever we can find that's available, you know, and fortunately over the years, I guess this is the luxury of, you know, being in the coaching game for, well, 20 years now that I've built some relationships over the years and in doing so it's allowed me to, um, you know, to figure out a way where, you know, I can gain some access to courts, um, you know, in return for something else, or, you know, you just develop these relationships and partnerships over the years. And then before you know it, you, 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 you're creating an environment um, that's going to allow athletes to, to excel. Cause we haven't got that many, oh, I'm not going to be harsh now. You've got obviously the national basketball center in Manchester. Um, you've got one of the uh, basketball courts in Brixton and obviously the, the basketball England, I'll call it to their credit as obviously invested in uh, outdoor spaces but be it for if you're not in a city environment obviously that's more of a challenge because if you've only got your local leisure centre and it's costing you something like ridiculous I spoke to obviously a, a, a counterpart in France had played high level free, free on free he was like well this is the difference between obviously basketball in France and in the UK. They've got all these outside spaces. They've got all. The, it's not ridiculously high margins to be able to do a sport that. Uh, what did the BBL put? I think yesterday it's in the between sixteen and nineteen year olds the most popular sport. It's not doing itself any favors by marginalizing obviously by statistics but it's ahead of cricket football rugby that are probably our traditional sports that speaks volumes yeah huge 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 it's it's difficult the facilities issues is difficult um i mean we're heading in the right direction in the sense that you know better facilities are popping up which are, are a lot more than your traditional leisure centers um you know as you already mentioned the you know the the basketball england um facility in manchester the leicester riders facility um over there is 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 fantastic um newcastle have got a phenomenal you know facility up there so they are and bristol i know are, are doing one i believe sheffield might be as well so they're starting to pop up i guess the issue that you get where i am in in london is um i mean the the rents and the rates are just you know so high um you know the issue with basketball is that it takes up so much space for little return, you know, um, because if one person wants to book out half a court, which, you know, you kind of, you need, or even just slightly smaller. But my point is, is that one person could book out half a court and get a phenomenal amount of work in for an hour. The just the cost for that one person is, is a lot, is a lot. And that's just one of the barriers that we've got as a sport is that, you know, the area is, is quite big. And if one person wants to use it, you've got to pay that premium amount. Do you think we need to go down more the, uh, I know a wheelchair basketball player you know, in California and they always showcase his shooting practice. Do you think they need to maybe go down that route of, you could say, make it more arcade, uh, more arcade-like and more entertainment? And then obviously you could have, 
I don't know, in a space more than two basketball hoops and obviously you were paying for per hour and obviously you would put uh, netting around it that you don't interfere with people's pay. Yeah. Do, do you think we, we've not thought about, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously talking about, where's, where's, where's he live? He's in the, the, the Bay Area, so obviously there's now a culture of basketball there because of the Golden yeah. State Warriors. But in terms of, do you think we need to maybe take a march on that? Because obviously that, that would negate space. It would negate, and, and, and obviously for a facility, that's a cash cow because you could have, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight players people just doing shooting and and obviously the margin would could, could, could come down as a result of that and obviously we'd make more money at, over, over time definitely i mean that has that's been something that i've looked into over the last um 18 months or so you know at quite a serious level um it's definitely something to be explored um because you're right you, you could have those lanes you know shooting guns or not um and almost treat it a bit like a top golf you know experience type of thing um with you know other kind of secondary spend around with a cafe or you know whatever you know equipment um apparel so i think there's definitely scope to to have that um and yeah maybe the uptake would be would be quite interesting um the and and while i do endorse that idea you're still going to have the issue of, okay, well, that's one person or two people, maybe three people per lane shooting. That's great. But then what about actually playing the game? You know, you're still going to battle with that, with that thing. Now, if there's a way of including it all, so you've got like these mini stations and then a you know, full-size court or multiple half courts, then, you know, definitely that sounds like an exciting facility. And I know there is one, there is a brand called Shoot360 in the US that do offer this kind of model but again, the landscape of for basketball, you know, in the US is very, very different, and they operate on a membership model, um, you know. And it would be, it would be, it'd be interesting to see if that could operate. Um, you think it just takes somebody taking a punt, and if they have success, it, obviously, it, you could go start with that. Okay, this is. It would help that obviously somebody's doing it for the passion as well because obviously they're more invested into it's not all about the the cha-ching it's not about all the money but they could kind of go well people are coming to to my facility in obviously in the city is going to work exponentially because it's it's going to go viral very very quickly and people are going to obviously turn out to, to support it i think yeah i, I it, it's going to, it's definitely going to take somebody with some guts, right. And, and some enthusiasm and industriousness to kind of just, you know, turn that around for sure. Um, but there's just so many things to consider, right? Like, you know, let's take a, you know, big cities like London and Manchester. I mean, that's a lot of, that's, that's a, that's big time rent. That's going to be, you know, going to be accountable for every month. Um, uh, because of the rents being so high in, in, in the major cities, but that's where you want to be because of the footfall. Um, you've got to think about, you know, the transport links to it. You know, in America, these things can exist out in the middle of nowhere, but then they've got a culture of driving everywhere, you know? So 
Um, there's so many factors and things to compare, you know, or to consider before just simply comparing it to the US. But but you're right, there, there's definitely something there that is ready to take off. Um, like most things, timing, whether that be a person, a facility, but it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, uh, do you, you you mentioned in industrious sense, Gary. Do you think it's going to take somebody like Vince McCauley um, with obviously MK uh, MK Lions when he did we had it in um, oh, I can't remember. Obviously, it did move from facility to facility, and I think Glasgow Rocks are thinking of doing something similar to to uh, uh, convert a warehouse to a basketball facility. Do you think it's to think maybe outside the box conventionally of well let's repurpose um i'll, I'll use the commonwealth games because obviously birmingham's and something like that uh with the three on three do you think it's obviously oh, repurposing a, 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 per, a certain place within obviously we're talking a lot about cities and obviously that's one way of regenerating i can't say the word regenerating the area as a result as well I think so. I mean, the, the the boom of the three-on-three culture, I think, could be quite transformational because now you're looking at, well, how can we utilize this space uh, or maximize this space the most, whatever that space is, and you could just potentially fit far more three-on-three courts in a space than you could trying to figure out how to fit full courts in. So I think I think the idea of of, of, a, of venues kind of housing a three-on-three space to maximize the usage um i think could be huge um but you know it's kind of like you know do we do we you know is three-on-three competing against five-on-five or are we trying to work together here because you know while while you know three-on-three can exist in two half courts of a full court um so you can actually use it for both purposes you know, if you only have the half courts, well, now you just wouldn't be able to have five and five games. And, you know, so I think there's a long way to go with three on three, but I think the smart way to get more people playing would be to really, really like capitalize on the boom of the three on three and almost have a hub for it so that people can go and play indoor three on three all year round. Do you, do you, do you think it's going to cause can they well let me pose it two different ways for you Gary do you think it's going to have an impact on the 5 on 5 game because this is something that my basketball coach had mentioned as for, for television and media the 3 on 3 game is so quick that it's quite easy to jump from obviously we're talking at the very high level of Olympic level now to go from a basketball game to okay that's finished we can go somewhere whereas obviously 5 on 5 takes 40 minutes and yeah. obviously, if yeah. if you, for argument's sake, don't know a lot about basketball, you don't really care. You, well, other than probably the semi final between Slovenia and France was probably the most exciting game of the Olympics in Tokyo. But that's probably me being a bit biased. But in terms of, do you think it, it, it they're trying to fight for supremacy a little bit, or do you think they can coexist? I I played both, so I I think it's obviously enriched my my experience, and it's made me a better player at five on five. But do you think there's going to be a competitive element with them going forward? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think there'll be, I don't, I don't think so, or there shouldn't be. I think both can coexist. And, and I'm glad you said that, like playing three on three or at least small sided games just enhances your ability to play the five on five. So they're very much, you know, a part of each other. Um, the battle will be is where does say the governing body put more attention like that that's that's i think gonna be gonna be the battle you know so when when there are you know uh, you know world-class tournaments do we enter how do we enter the like the like where does the strongest talent go you know, do they do they lean more to the five on five, or do we stack up the three on three? And I think that that's an interesting kind of dynamic and conversation. Again, I think we're we're way off that. You know, that being ever being an issue, um, but I would love to see them coexist. I mean, an interesting conversation actually on that would be to nations who are successfully competing in volleyball and beach volleyball, because that that's an interesting you know comparison to what we're talking about, and I'm. Um, It'd be, it'd be interesting to know if, if those two coexist in those nations where they're stronger at, at volleyball, you know. Okay, that's for me to find out. <laughs> that's, a, that's a question I can ask uh, volleyball players. But uh, you, you, you've seen, obviously, I'll just mention one of them. Jamal Anderson is obviously, at, well, just recently... Um, I'm going to say in the in the box. I can't remember which country it was that they were recently competing at. But obviously that's England in in later on in the summer for three on three in the Commonwealth Games. So and, and obviously he plays heavily in GB's five on five as well. Where I see it potentially, obviously, uh, you obviously we mentioned weather at the very beginning of the episode, where we're maybe going to struggle on three. Or a lot of that is outside. And obviously, most of our courts are predominantly. I know they had to come indoors uh, for the, I think it was the second yeah. day, and they yeah. they reveled in it because well like, oh, now we got we got we got traction now we can actually use our speed. I don't know why it was wet when it wasn't raining, but it's probably one of them um, artificial things, and they're not the greatest. But do you think that's where potentially as an we shouldn't do as an island nation because we, we, we've got wind. But do you think that might be more of a, a, a transitional headache because of we haven't got as many outdoor spaces as, say, the French? Uh, I've seen a documentary with the the, uh, the Balkan nations of Serbia, Croatia. They could pretty much live outside when it's in the summer. Mm. Do you think we're going to not necessarily struggle but we're playing catch up a little bit because obviously it's relatively new and we've for better lack or, or judgment and I'll I'll use my counter counsel of I, I, I think there is maybe three outdoor courts and I used to have three in my own town. Do you think that kind of negativity of getting rid of access to something that is obviously free okay it's on tarmac but we'll play a little bit of a devil's advocate in the short term interesting one I think <clears throat> I think 
for sure, I mean, yeah, big question. For sure, the fact that we don't have the same weather that other nations have is going to impact the fact that, you know, they're going to be playing outside a lot more, you know, that that's definitely going to impact in one way. Um, I'll give you another example. So it's not just the weather, but culturally, you know, um, I had the, the privilege of, of going to, um, to Tel Aviv, Israel, to, 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 to put on a bit of a show when I was a player, like do, you know, demonstrate some skills and, and, um, and kind of interact with the locals. So we went to one of the parks and there were 12 full court basketball courts, literally like next to each other, you know, spreading across the park and accompanying those courts was floodlights, you know, and those floodlights would automatically turn off at midnight. Now, okay, you know, the climate is 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 very different in Israel. Um, but even so, you've just got a supporting belief or culture that that just want that encourages people to play in a safe space. And I think the way we're gonna tackle the issue of you know the weather, right, is gonna be to just create to just try you know trying our best to create these safe spaces in parks or in estates or wherever um that's just going to allow people to play you know without having to worry about it being used as football pitches as well or tennis courts as well or you know having places that are neglected and neglected and then you know you've got you know people hanging out there that shouldn't be etc etc and i think finding a way to make it a safe space where people can play when they can play is 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 kind of you know where where we need to go and who knows maybe the next thing we need to do is look at covering you know these areas um you know with these like you know these mugger covers you know um which again is possible they might be extremely ugly to some um but you know if it means that the usage of a space is going to be you know utilized more productively and 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 effectively then you know, I think we should be looking outside of the box, as you mentioned earlier, um, to make sure that we are playing sport more regularly if we can't afford to build facilities or rent these facilities. Well, it goes all in hand, hand in hand in terms of we were talking about, obviously, uh, social economical impacts. Um, it's keeping people away from obviously making possibly the a. a, a a negative choice in life going down maybe the crime route uh, uh it's obviously health and well-being from well stopping a, an obesity crisis in, in its tract of, of of getting people more and more outside and maybe off the game consoles is gonna it's gonna help if, if you can create a an environment and a culture that you were talking about especially with israel of you and I both grew up outside, as you didn't didn't spend much time. As whereas there's maybe there's two camps nowadays with with the with the youth of the ones that are very very sporty don't probably need very much motivation to to go. Away. It's just they don't have access to to the facilities. And on, on the other hand, it's the other ones that well, I use the game console to interact socially whereas that's not really social interaction so it'd be probably getting them out of that aspect of it in terms of probably making it's, it's, it's a community community effort at the end of the day in terms of getting well sport 
politics, all on we we going very very difficult territory. Obviously, because we're talking about power at the end of the day of making decisions, mm. and it, it it is it is a challenge because you you, you mentioned Newcastle Eagles and and Leicester, they did it themselves. As well, we're not going to wait for for to get facilities we're going to take the impetus on ourselves to to create and obviously they've both got very uh very big influence within their local communities as it's very much uh, a breeding ground for 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 talent but you're not you need you need that everywhere in the country Definitely. And you said something really interesting there about, you know, Leicester and Newcastle taking it upon themselves to, you know, to be proactive and entrepreneurial, to do things themselves. Um, I mean, we say do things themselves. They obviously, you know, do need, you know, help and support in, in many ways. But, um, you know, when we look at other nations and we say the French do this, you know, or in Israel, they've got this, it's very then quick to then say, well, basketball England then need to do this, you know, or GB need to do this. And it's like, no, actually we need to, you know, individually or within our communities, we need to do more um, and stop waiting around for <clears throat> some, you know, higher authority to to hand us, you know, a briefcase of money and then, you know, spend it on nonsense, you know, like there's no longevity in that, you know, it's just not sustainable. So, you know, we need to we need to have more entrepreneurial brains, you know, in 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 these in these thinking tanks to get some real high quality goods and services, you know, created. Because the more we do, you know, the more we wait and complain, time's ticking, you know. And before you know it, another generation is just going to like zoom past us, and then we're just moaning about the same thing years and years and years and years and years to come. So. Yeah, we need more. We need more entrep- entrepreneurs involved in making things happen. Well, it, it showcases that Britain can do it. Look at look at. Okay, it's, it's the NBA setting up shop in be it the O2 or uh, I. I went to preseason game years ago in Manchester. They've got the infrastructure, and obviously teams have played in in those environments. Of Manchester's played in the NBA arena. Sheffield's played in their arena. London had two teams, um, and obviously, to 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 the to the appetite is is there because I can't remember what I think Manchester used to have like the big like fifteen thousand. I think they, is the it was the record up until obviously NBA games come across the yeah. Atlantic. But it it, it takes. The, the the entrepreneur analysis that you're talking about obviously Birmingham's no longer got a team at high level so you're thinking well why why are these franchise models not working in terms of well into I think what the BBL put out today of they're going to extend the season to, to play each team for that for t- I think that's utterly stupid it's like well people pe- the the it's like a the playoffs is like a football game almost like two legs it doesn't make sense with basketball it's either you go like that i think one person put in the comments make it a free game series and extend it that direction and then it obviously 
would be more equivalent to basketball culture everywhere else in the world. Whereas I don't know if they're trying to put something into a into a box that doesn't fit. It's like, well, what's the point of playing a team four times the same team? Because uh, if I use the rival between Manchester Giants and Cheshire Phoenix, Manchester beat them three times in one season. What's an extra game going to make? Not going to make any difference to the head to head. It's it's all you you've already won three games. If they end yeah. up being tied in the in the in 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 the standings, it's irrelevant because if you win one game, that doesn't matter. So I don't know what they're trying to achieve in in that fashion in terms of making the obviously making the season longer but and i think one person said well what do you do with one of the cups because you can't have a first round and then mm. depending on which one that is that affects the ebl teams that are coming into play in the cup so obviously solent went to the way to the final one season so it's very dangerous territory that they're playing around with in my opinion yeah, I, I I agree with you. I, I, it's uh, it's unnecessarily complicated. I think that's the that's the best way to sum it up. Like I, do, I just don't think it needs to be so complicated. I do like the idea of um, you know our um, you know our second division, our second league, if you like, you know, having an opportunity to compete against you know the BBL teams. I, you know, I like that, especially when you've got some serious strength down there. You know. Um, those upsets are, you know, good talking pieces. You know, it gets people talking about the game. Um, um, but regardless, the, the, it, it just does feel like the BBL structure is far too complicated than it needs to be. And I agree with you. I think a three-game series would be far better than um, what's currently, you know, happening. But well, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't work because you've got to be a mathematician, and so does the potentially the coach. <laughs> yeah. As what is the aggregate score? What is if you for for argument's sake, and I think it did happen quite of this season past. Teams got blown out in that first game. You've got no in in obviously you, there's there's opportunities of miracles, but in all reality, that 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 that, that uh, series is gone in terms of you, unless the other team has a really really bad night as well in mm. in the return leg, which is probably. Highly unlikely, and I think the one that I'd seen was obviously London Lions and Cheshire Phoenix, and they they lost quite heavily, and they managed to make it tight. But if you make that a three game series, that's very more, that's very very more, and obviously the fans will come, the the the, the coverage will be a lot better, and then ultimately that that third game is very very important. Whereas... Yeah. My my only guess would be, James, that the reason why it's not going to go to a three-game series will be the, the unpredictability of when the next game is. And if you don't have your own facility, then there's going to be an issue around booking. That's, that's what my gut is telling me. Um, whereas, you know, if you know that you've got, you know, a home and, uh, you know, one home, one away game, that's just so much easier to, to plan for. And if that's the case, then that literally just tells us, you know, that the professionalism isn't where it needs to be yet. You know, we're, we're still not at the level 
you know, where we can kind of play with the league a little bit more to make it more exciting, to almost mirror what the NBA does. Well, you, you probably couldn't say that of Newcastle. Well, obviously Newcastle didn't make the playoffs this season, but that's no offence to be the Newcastle a lot listen to this in the future because they probably bash me for that. But <laughs> in terms of a Leicester, that's not a problem. Obviously, they, they were top of the league, so they would have home advantage anyway for that third game. Um, it, it It is... If, if they want to keep talent and to, to progress and to be view as I'm going to say legitimate contenders by other nations, you obviously need to make this this progression Mm, Absolutely Absolutely We've got a long way to go I mean there certainly are some some steps going in the right direction I think there's been there's been an increase like the you know the increase in the social media presence, I mean maybe I'm in a little bit of a bubble here, you know almost like an echo chamber you know because i'm only consuming it but it does it does feel like there's there's far more cameras on the game there's far more people reporting on it retweeting it resharing it and i think that's certainly going to help with conversations you know th- you know of, of the domestic game um i think that some of these content creators are producing some really high quality stuff therefore it's inspiring others to pick up a camera and learn how to edit and i think there's more you know communicators of the game in that sense um and and i think that's the way to go because that's how you are going to inspire um you know people to play as well by having this content that looks in, you know looks awesome and it's is showcasing you know something that you know let's say on a scale of a scale of one to ten you know in real in real life it's a seven but the way it's documented and shown it now looks like a 10 you know and and i think that that, that that's only going to help um but it just needs to be backed up with you know forward thinkers in the important seats that's going to transform the game from a structural standpoint you know having the right people making the right decisions for the sport and um you know it's, it's everybody pulling in the right direction at the right time well, that's a challenge in anything in life. It doesn't For sure. Pull in the same direction. Uh, you could relate it to basketball. Not everybody's going to be pulling in the same direction because they have um, a particular perception on where something should go. So everybody's steering in the right direction. Uh, obviously, they might have all good intentions in terms of, well, why don't we go over that direction? It becomes a little bit more challenging to, to obviously make pro- progressions and, and progress. Yeah, yeah, and then well, absolutely, and I think we've got a lot of people pulling in the same direction, but it's the wrong direction. I think that's you know another issue as well, and and that's the conversation probably around diversity as well. Is just making sure that we've got you know enough people from you know different walks of life that all want to you know all want the same thing, but just have so many different ideas on how we can do that you know and i think i think you know again that's another problem that needs to be addressed well it's an interesting one that you 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 mentioned gary in terms of diversity you wouldn't think that would be obviously at playing level it's definitely not in terms of a lot of biodiversity in terms of equality within well i wouldn't say that i'd probably don't agree to some extent it is with the wbb WBBL and the BBL, 
obviously the women's game is probably not televised as maybe as it should be, but then you could probably blanket that statement over women's sport in general. Um, yeah. Of, well, if you're not inside the basketball bubble, the, the London Lions women team going undefeated and not losing a game, that should be, well, I don't think it was, but that should be in national media because that's pretty th- pretty hard thing to do to go a complete season unbeaten and um hopefully you're not an arsenal supporter but some of using arsenal as the 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 under un, un, unbeatable they weren't unbeatable they like, they drew games that's not undefeated versus obviously yeah. the lions have obviously gone completely I would say the problem was almost like women against girls, but in terms of the, the but not dis, the diminishing the the exploits of obviously winning, that's obviously a different topic. But mm-hmm. that's obviously yeah. out, maybe outside of London, it might have not got any noise whatsoever. Well, even in London, it just not enough noise was 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 made really, um, which is a shame because you know there's. Um, you know the players that are on that team, whether it be the more senior players or you know, you know the the recently kind of uh, you know those who have, you know who 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 almost just on the who've left college basketball fairly recently. So whether they're you know old or young, um, it's just phenomenal talent on that team with some really interesting stories. And and I think that's the biggest thing that is missing is that we just don't hear enough about people's stories about what they've had to overcome, you know, the adversity that they've, they've, they've met face to face. Um, because I think that would just humanize everything a little bit more rather than, you know, us just talking about sport, but actually talking about, you know, the people involved. Cause I think though, you know, stories like that are, well, are really just, powerful. Just the beginnings of the season of then, well, they didn't end up beating Bush over, uh, the series, but to knock that knock off a well-established French team in in Europe, pretty significantly at home, I went okay. God, I gotta take notice, and this is probably a team to follow. And I probably, and I'm not based in London, and obviously I like basketball, but when they were ticking over throughout the season, it's like, could they go undefeated? It obviously mm-hmm. every single game for them. For other every team that they're facing is like a, a cup final, so it's if they if they were the team to knock them off, they'd probably take great mm. delight in it. So when they they managed to do it, I was like, well, why 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 isn't there enough noise compared to? It was a long long time for Arsenal, but in terms of that that was made a big deal about. It's still made about a big deal about it today, but. Obviously, outside the basketball circles, that we soon forgotten. Yeah, very sad. Which is a shame. Yeah, definitely a missed opportunity for sure. So, we're coming to the close of the episode now, Gary, and I like to ask this question of all my guests: If you got, to, and I'm going to ask you this in a two-part question, um, so very lucky. If you got to sit down with any athlete, dead or alive, for that matter, who would that be and why? Um, I think my answer's changed. Um, 
I think I think I would have always answered that question with Michael Jordan. Um, but since the death of Kobe, um, actually he's now on top because I think having that conversation with, because there's going to be so many things that's untold with him now, um, sadly, I think that would be an awesome thing to be able to tap into, you know, some, some insight from him. Um, so I'm going to say, yeah, Kobe Bryant is definitely the person who I want to sit down, sit down with. And my second part to that question, if you got down, got to sit down with any coach, dead or alive, who would that be and why? Um, yeah, I would say, um, so as a junior, I grew up playing for the London Towers and we unfortunately lost the great coach, um, who died, you know, before, before he was 40, I think he was 38 or 39 and, uh, Joe White, you know, was a phenomenal role model, um, in London and, uh, well, you know, you know, nationally and, um, uh, I, you know, I was, he was my second coach, um, uh, who I ever played for. And, you know, he was a massive influence on me and really helped me develop into the player I became to go overseas. Um, and while I've got these amazing memories, you know, very vivid memories of our, of our time together, um, there's so many questions that I would, you know, love to, to ask now as an adult. Um, who is now older than he was when he passed. Um, so many questions that I'd love to ask. So Joe White is the person I'd like to yeah, sit down your, your honesty and explanation to in that, Gary. And my last question before we wrap up the episode is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? That would be take ownership of any change that you want to see in your environment or your community. Um, yeah, be an agent of change. Don't wait for others to, to make that change for you. Um, yeah, hold yourself accountable and make the change. James, I gave you a paragraph, not a sentence, so I really so apologize for that. So once again, Gary, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Oh, it's been awesome. Um, probably could have talked about this for another two or three hours. So, um, yeah, really appreciate you know you having me on here and your time. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode and got loads from it. Anything that was included and discussed will be available in the show notes below. And I would love to hear from you. Come and connect and ask your questions. I've been James Roberts from jamesowenroberts.com. Remember this quote by Chris Hart. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute, not by some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete.